continuing our series on what's that sound. What's that sound? Joshua 6 verse 20 says, when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Through the series, we've been learning how to be obedient to the sound that God has called us to make with our lives. We've, we've learned in this passage in Joshua that the power was not necessarily in the shout. The power was in the obedience to make a shout. You know, our son, Sailor's one-year-old, I, I use him so much as sermon illustrations because God teaches us so much through parenting, doesn't he? Our son Sailor loves noise. He loves anything that's noisy. Anything that's loud, he loves it. He loves instruments. He has, he has toy instruments at home, a toy piano and little maracas. He loves to make noise. And I have an electric piano in my office. And sometimes when I'm feeling really nice, I'll let him play it. And when he plays the piano, all he knows how to do is bang, 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 bang. Make it as loud of a noise as possible. And it is cringy in my ears. I mean, I'm literally cringing. And I can't listen to it for long. I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's go play with something else. I can't listen to that. Because all he likes to do is make noise. You know, I can't wait till he's old enough to be intentional and to be obedient to chords and to keys and to notes and to a melody. Beautiful music is really made by obedience and intentionality, isn't it? Through this series, we're learning not to be noisy Christians and not to be silent Christians, but to make an obedient, intentional sound to God with our lives, to make a sweet, pleasing sound to God. There's this old worship song that the lyrics say, take joy, my king. In what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And that's what we're learning to do through this series. What's that sound? Is to make an obedient, pleasing, sweet sound to God with our lives. We're called to be obedient with the sound of preaching, as we learned last week. The sound of praise. And today, we are talking about the sound of prayer. The sound of prayer. Open up your Bibles with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. We're going to start in verse 5. And what's happening in this passage when we pick up this text is the early church is being persecuted. Herod Agrippa is in power, and he just killed James... And the Bible says that when Herod saw that this pleased the Jews, he continued to imprison Peter. And if you're like me and you ask questions like, well, if he killed James right away, why didn't he kill Peter right away? It's because this was during the festival of unleavened bread. And Herod's number one motive to persecuting the Jews was political influence with the Jews. Or sorry, he persecuted the church because of political influence with the Jews. And if he was to kill Peter during this festival, the Jews would be very upset. So he imprisoned him and decided to kill him after this festival was over. So that's a little bit about what's happening when we pick up this text. We're starting in verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly, everyone say praying, praying. 
to God for him. Now I have to stop for a second and note that at this point the church has lost Stephen. Stephen was martyred. They just lost James. James was martyred. And now Peter is in prison. And it says that the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Which tells me that they did not give up on Peter. If I was the church in this text, I would say, you know what, we lost Stephen, we lost James, Peter's in prison. I might as well just accept we're about to lose Peter as well. But that's not what the church did. They contended in the place of prayer. And I just want to encourage someone this morning that even if you've lost one battle, and even if you've lost two battles, that does not mean you're going to lose again. If you got disappointed once, maybe even twice, does not mean you're going to get disappointed again. Don't accept defeat too soon. The church is earnestly praying to God for Peter. Verse 6 says, the night before, Herod was to bring him to trial. You ever notice that God always comes through on the night before? Just me? The night before, you couldn't have come through on the first night, on the second night, not even the third. You waited till the last night. God oftentimes waits to the last minute to come through. And I like to believe he likes to wait until the devil gets confident, gets confident and thinks he has his money in the bag. And just when the enemy thinks he has it in the bag, that's when God comes through. That's when God moves. That's when God breaks through because we serve a God of a comeback. It was on the last night before Herod was to bring into trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. He said, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Verse 10, they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the street, suddenly the angel left him. I read a commentary. This was interesting. It said that God will do the supernatural for you until natural means will take you the rest of the way. I thought that was interesting. Verse 11 says, then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel. Is there anyone in the house this morning that knows without a doubt that God is the one, he is the reason why I'm here today. God is the reason why I'm healed. God is the reason I'm alive. God's the reason that I'm set free. I know without a doubt that he's the one who got me here. So verse 12, when this had dawned on him, then he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were, everyone say, praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel, but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. I have a question for you today by a show of hands. How many of you have been worried before? 
You've been worried before. Most, probably all of us have been worried before. You know, before I had a kid, I did not worry about a thing. I didn't have a care in the world. I didn't have a worry in the world. I think about things that I used to do before I had a kid. I would never do it today. I used to drive without a seatbelt. I would never do that today. I can't even drive down the street without thinking about all the bad things that could happen. I didn't drive without, I drove without a seatbelt. I pierced my own ears with a sewing needle. I went cliff jumping. I would never do those things today. After I had a kid, it changed me. I became a worry wart. <laughs> and one of the most worrisome moments being a parent thus far was when we were going to fly with our one-year-old. We were flying to Colorado at the beginning of this year, and I'm a Texas girl born and raised, so I was so excited to go see the mountains and go see Colorado, but I was so worried to fly with him. Days before the trip, I found myself laying in bed, and I could not sleep. I was so worried thinking about this flight. I was watching all the YouTube videos of tips for traveling with kids. I was so worried. I would find myself going about my day, and all of a sudden, it would dawn on me, we're about to fly with him, and my heart would start racing. I told Marshall, I said, I have never been so worried about anything in my life than about flying with our one-year-old. He said, it's going to be fine. So the day comes, we're flying with him, okay? Long story short, we fly there, spend a few days in Colorado, it was amazing, fly back. Now, you know when you get done doing something that you were really afraid to do? Maybe public speaking, maybe riding a roller coaster, you're really afraid, and then you get done and you're like, that wasn't so bad. I had nothing to be worried about. In fact, I could probably do it again. That was not the case in this instance. I had every reason to be worried. Anything that could have gone wrong went wrong. The only thing that would keep him happy is when he was eating on the plane. So we were giving him all the puffs. I mean, the whole hour and a half just eating puffs the whole time. We typically don't give him a bottle during that time of day, and we gave him a bottle just to make him happy. So we get off the plane, and we're taking the train, getting to, get to our rental car, and he's so full, he's puking every five seconds the entire way. I had everything to be worried about. In fact, I will probably be just as worried when we go again. I'm sure you've realized this, but our world is plagued with worry. Our world is plagued with worry. Many of our lives are plagued with worry. We worry about everything. We worry about finances. We worry about gas prices. We worry about taxes. We worry about the government. We worry about our businesses, our jobs. We worry about our health. We worry about our loved ones, our parents, spouse, kids, friends. We worry about our future, the future of our lives, the future of our nation, the future of our world. We are plagued with worry. And the world has so many answers to worry, doesn't it? The world has podcasts and books and counselors and therapists and spas <laughs> and yoga sessions. We have essential oils. In fact, I got something for my birthday I want to show you. I really wanted essential oils. I do love them. Uh, this one is called Stress Away. 
as if you take one whiff of this thing and all the stress goes away. I think I need to try some right now and see, see if this works. Smells really good. I don't know if all the stress just leave my body, but <laughs> smells great. I like to diffuse oils because they smell good. <laughs> Essential oils is apparently an answer to stress. We also have things uh, like stress reliever balls. I'll show, you, I'll show you this one. You can actually buy a squishy ball. And they say every time you get worried, anxious, you just squeeze it. I don't, I don't know if it's working. Maybe it works for some of you. I don't, I don't know. The world has so many answers for worry. We have nicotine to take the edge off. We have alcohol to take the edge off. The world has so many answers for worry, yet we are more worried than ever. We are more medicated than ever. We are more anxious than ever. For many of us, anxiety is a normal part of our lives. Panic attacks are a part of our normal day lives that we just cope with. And my question today is what is the answer to worry? Because I don't believe we're called to live worried. In fact, our Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This tells me that it is not God's will that we would live in worry, that we would live in fear and we would live in dread. So what is the answer? I could imagine in Acts chapter 12, the church is worried. The church is worried. They've seen their leaders killed. They saw Stephen stoned. They saw James beheaded with a sword. Now they see their leader, Peter, in prison. And if I'm the church in this story, I am worried to death. Not only for Peter, but for my own life and for my family's life. What's going to happen to us? I would be so worried. And the Bible says in verse 5 that as Peter was in prison, the church was not worrying, they were praying. They were not worrying, they were praying. See, the Bible gives us an answer to worry, and it is prayer. It's prayer. In fact, Philippians verse 4 uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says, do not worry about anything. That's not a suggestion. That is a command. But I love that the Bible does not stop there. Because have you ever tried to just stop worrying? Just stop worrying. It's going to be fine. Just stop worrying. Stop stressing out. Just calm down. Take a deep breath. Just don't worry. I don't know about you, but it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. Because just trying to remove worry from our lives does not work. Parents with teenagers, I'll help you for a moment. I was a youth pastor for years. I've been a teenager. And when teenagers struggle with anxiety and panic attacks, telling them you have nothing to worry about because you don't have bills or a mortgage, stop worrying, that does not help them. Because just removing, removing worry from our lives doesn't work. And the Bible doesn't say just don't worry. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about 
everything. The Bible gives us an answer to worry, and it is prayer. We can't just remove worry. We have to replace it with prayer. And the church in Acts 12 is praying. They're praying. I want to look today at how they were praying. Because they prayed different than we pray today. Their prayers was not a cute, casual, you know, just rehearsed 30-second talk to God before meals or before bedtime. They prayed different. Verse 5 says that the church was earnestly, earnestly praying to God for him. This tells me we are to pray, number one, earnestly. Earnestly. Earnest means stretched out. It means intensely. It means fervently. It means without ceasing. We are called to pray earnestly. For a couple years before I got married, I lived with the most beautiful, amazing family, uh, the Roystons. I'm sure many of you know them. They're actually here in the service. Amazing family. I loved living with the Royston. They, they have three beautiful kids. And uh, their, their middle is just amazing. Her name's Linda Kate. I love this girl. Well, when we lived there, um, this is what they do. They do affirmations um, every night. And they have their kids say affirmations. I'm a leader. I'm a champion. I'm a hard worker. I'm a man or woman of God. I'm a protector of mommy. I'm a protector of daddy. I'm a protector of sissy. And, and and Bubba and Mama, and I'm a leader who God says I am. And they say these affirmations. Well, one night we were getting them ready for bed, and we say, okay, it's time for affirmations. And so London, the, the middle, she goes, I'm a leader, I'm a champion, I'm a hard worker, I'm a woman of God, I'm powerful, I'm strong, I'm beautiful, I'm blessed. Thank you. And Dr. Rick goes, whoa, 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 stop. He says, London, Kate, he says, say it like you mean it. And she goes, she goes, I'm a leader, I'm a champion, I'm a hard worker, I'm a woman of God, I'm a protector of mommy, I'm a protector of daddy, and we are like, that is what I'm talking about right there. Oftentimes we pray so casually, so rehearsed, we say, thank you, Lord, and God's saying, would you pray it like you mean it? Would you say it like you mean it? Would you pray earnestly? Would you pray with desperation? Would you pray with volume and conviction? We are called to pray earnestly. James 5.16 says that the earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We're called to pray earnestly. The church was praying earnestly, but not only that. In verse 12, it says this, that many people had gathered and were praying Many people from the church had gathered together at Mary's house to pray for one reason, for Peter. This tells me we're called to pray earnestly and we're called to pray, number two, together. Called to pray together. Matthew 8, 19 says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven. That is Bible. That if two or three agree, it will be done. This word agree in the original language, in the original language is the word symphoneo. This is where we get the word symphony. And it means to harmonize or to make a symphony. Now, one person playing an instrument is really beautiful. But if you've ever been to a symphony, 
and you hear an entire orchestra start to harmonize together, it's powerful. You'll get goosebumps. It is, it is powerful. See, when we pray individually, it's effective. But when we begin to pray together, it's dangerous. When you pray on your own, it's effective, no doubt. But when you pray together, when the church comes together to agree together, it is dangerous and anything can happen. We're called to pray together. I encourage you today to don't just pray on your own, but pray with someone else. Pray with your group. Pray, have someone you can pray with. Be someone that people know they can call to pray with them. And call someone else when you need prayer. We're called to pray together. Together. That's how they prayed. Now, I want to look at, for our uh, remaining time together, what happened when they prayed. How God began to move when they prayed. Verse 7, it says, suddenly, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. It says suddenly. When we pray, God moves suddenly. When we pray, God moves quickly. God moves instantly. God responds all of the sudden. One of our favorite times of the day is getting our son Sailor from his crib. It's our favorite time. It is the cutest thing in the world. And we'll hear him on the baby monitor rolling around and talking a little bit. And we're like, okay, he's fine. And then when he's ready, he starts to cry out. And we know when he's ready. He's, he is screaming. We got a screamer. We got a loud baby. So we're like, okay, he's ready. Let's go. It's time to go in. I believe that when we begin to actually pray out loud, when we begin to cry out to God in desperation, all of a sudden God says, okay, it's time to move right now. It's, it's time to move quickly. It's time to move suddenly. It's time to break through. It's time to open doors. It's time to do miracles. Why? Because my church is crying out for me. God moves suddenly. So we go into his, his nursery, and uh, it's, it's dark in there. And we turn on the lamp, and this is the cutest part. We turn on the lamp, and when the, when the light shines, he goes, and then he falls down because he's not used to the light yet. And he falls down, and then he tries again, and he goes like this, and then he'll fall down again. It's so cute. He's not used to the light. It takes him a while to get adjusted to the light. Peter's in this prison cell. It's pitch dark, and an angel suddenly shows up, and light shines in the cell, and then the angel strikes him and says, quick. Get up, because when we pray, God moves quickly. And sometimes it's faster than we can adjust. Sometimes it's faster than we can even keep up. God moves quickly. At the beginning of the year, we started to pray for a young adult movement. We made it one of our risks. We were praying into a young adult movement in our, in our church and in uh, the surrounding areas. And then all of a sudden, next thing we know, revivals start breaking out across college campuses and universities. And we're like, oh, my goodness, we, we plan on doing this in the fall, but it's time to do this right now. God's answering right now. Because when we pray, God moves suddenly. And oftentimes it's faster than we expected or can adjust. So when we pray, we got to be ready to move. When we pray, we got to be ready for it. we got to be ready for it because God moves quickly 
continues in verse 9 and 10, Peter followed the angel out of the prison and it says that they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city and it opened for them by themselves and they went through it. And I know what some of you are thinking when I say God moves suddenly because I know many of you have been praying and believing for something for years. You've been praying, believing for something for so many years and you have seen nothing. You're like, God hasn't moved suddenly for me. And I want you to see in this text that the church is at Mary's house praying and interceding. And Peter is on the way and they don't even know it. When we pray, God moves suddenly, but I found he often moves quietly. He often moves quietly. The guards had no idea what was happening, and the church had no idea what was happening. God oftentimes moves quietly behind the scenes when we don't even know it. I lead uh, our leadership college, and uh, one of our ELC students, her name is Vivian, and she is the most precious, sweetest spirit girl I've ever met. She, I love Vivian. And a couple months ago, she came up to me after I was preaching at our Frisco campus. And she said, I have something to give you. And I was like, amazing. I love gifts. And uh, I opened it. And she had hand knit a baby blanket for Sailor. It's blue and white to this day. It's one of his favorite baby blankets. And I go, Vivian, how long have you been working on this? She said, a few weeks. And I said, you mean to tell me that I've seen you almost every day. We were in the same house in Florida for an end of year trip for a whole week, seeing you every day in the same house. And you were working on this this whole time, and I had no idea? She said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she had been working on it for weeks, and I had no clue. Can I just talk to someone who's been praying and believing and interceding for something, and maybe you've seen no change and no breakthrough and no movement. I'm here to tell you that God is just working behind the scenes. Your prayers are working. Your prayers are working. Your prayers are working. And as long as you keep praying, God will keep moving. As long as you pray, God will move. And you can be encouraged today that even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it or hear it, I know that God is working behind the scenes. I know that my answer could be on the way and I don't even know it. I love this in the New Testament. Uh, uh, Paul, his transformation, he, went, he used to be Saul and used to be a murderer of Christians. And uh, God encountered him and transformed his life in a place called Damascus. Damascus. And the, the meaning of the word Damascus means silent is the sackcloth weaver. Silent is the sackcloth weaver. They named it this because when they would make sackcloth, which was a very durable, rough material back then, similar to a potato bag, when they would make this, they would be so intentional, so focused that they would be silent. And it was in Damascus where Saul was turned into Paul. And I would be so bold to say that God often does his best work in silence. God often does his best work when we can't see it, when we can't feel it, when we can't understand it. God is working and weaving behind the scenes. God moved quietly. Continues in verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. So he finally arrives 
And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. They said, you're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. See, it's not that the church did not believe that God, it's not that the church didn't think that God would answer. They just expected it to happen a different way. See, God oftentimes moves quietly. You also need to know this, that God answers prayers unexpectedly as well. Unexpectedly. They expected it to look one way. Probably hear about it in town or run into him in town. But little did they know God had something better in mind and was bringing Peter to their front doorstep. We oftentimes reject things that we don't expect. But today I want to encourage you not to shut the door on your answer just because it looks different than what's in your mind. Before Marshall and I got married, we were uh, looking for a house. We were believing God for a house. And uh, we, you know how they give you a, a zone of what you're going to look at? We had a very small zone because we always pictured ourselves very close to our family, very close to our church. So we had a very small zone. And so we were looking at multiple houses a day over weeks and weeks and weeks, looking at so many houses and not one of them worked out. And so we started praying and we really sensed peace to increase our zone quite a bit. And as soon as we did that, the very first two houses that we found, we fell in love with. And the house that we put an offer on is the house we've lived in for two and a half years. We recently sold and we, we're now moving into a house that is better than we ever could have imagined on, on our own. Better than we ever could have planned in our own five-year plan on our own. Because God had something better in mind. And I just think back to a couple years ago, if I was so stubborn to say, no, it has to look this way. It has to be this way. This is what I picture in my mind. I would have shut the door on the answer God was trying to bring to me. Don't shut the door on your answer just because it looks different. God oftentimes moves in unexpected ways. But here's the thing. It's always better than what we expect on our own. God's way is always better. He has the best plan for you. He has the best plan for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God's way is better. See, this is the power of prayer. This is what happens when a church begins to come together and pray earnestly and pray together. God begins to move and God begins to work. I've heard this text preached a few different ways. And, and a lot of times we think that Peter's the hero of the story. The title of the passage is Peter Escapes from Prison. As if Peter did something special and worked his magic and escaped from prison. But as we read the text, we find that it was actually the praying church that were the heroes. Because if they did not pray, Peter would have lost his life. If they did not pray, if they did not contend, if they gave up, Peter would have lost his life. But Peter survived and escaped because a church refused to give up and came together and prayed earnestly, many of them coming together, and God began to move. 
God began to move. We don't have to worry when we have the power of prayer. We don't have to live in fear when we have the power of prayer. We don't have to live anxious when we have the power of prayer. A few weeks ago, our son Sailor had a febrile seizure. And I'm sure some of you know what this is. This is a, uh, what happens when a baby's fever spikes too fast and their, their little bodies don't know how to handle it. So, so he had a seizure. Luckily, these seizures typically don't have lasting effects. And so, you know, we went to the hospital. He's completely fine and healthy. Praise the Lord. And we got back home. But when I got back home, I was still worried sick. Worried sick. I said, put the baby monitor on the most sensitive setting. Get the crib in the bedroom. He's sleeping in our room. I wouldn't take my eyes off him. I'm checking his fever every five minutes because I'm so worried. Worried. If it'll happen again, just so worried. And then a few days later, I woke up one day and I said, you know what? I'm tired of being consumed with worry. I'm tired of being controlled by worry. I'm not called to live in worry and I'm not going to let this keep me in worry. And so I began to pray. And I said, God, I thank you that your hand is on Sailor's life. I thank you that before he was formed in my womb, you called him, you appointed him, and you set him apart. He's not mine. He is yours. He belongs to you. And I pray a hedge of protection around him. And I pray peace over him and peace over our home because I'm not going to let worry control me. I don't have to worry when I have the power of prayer. You don't have to worry when you have the power of prayer. I commission you today to stop worrying and to start praying because prayer changes everything. 